Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recap Season 1, where we are recapping all 67 episodes of Game of Thrones in preparation for the airing of Season 8 sometime next year as of when recording this. Today we are on Season 6, Episode 5, The Door. A great, great episode here. Uh, we will start our plot recap over in Essos. We'll start in the well, in the middle of Essos, technically, I guess, uh, in the city of Marine, where uh, the city has found itself in a peaceful spell of time here, thanks to Tyrion's uh, deal he cut with the wise masters of Yonkai, Astapor, and Volantis. Uh, but, uh, nonetheless, uh, the masters are probably not too pleased that, uh, Tyrion and Varys, two foreign individuals, as well as Danny, who's all foreign to Essos, have come into Slaver's Bay, and, uh, Tyrion assumes, well, they could use this to reclaim Slaver's Bay, so he invites Kinvara, a high priestess of the Red Temple of R'hllor, uh, here from Volantis to come and spread the word of Danny's accomplishments throughout all of Essos. And Kinvara appears to be uh, very excited to do so, to the surprise of Tyrion, and even proclaims that Daenerys is the prince that was promised. We've heard this before, last episode, uh, from Melisandre about a different individual. Uh, and she also manages to uh, throw Varys for a loop when she reveals that she knows of Varys's past, of his castration at the hands of a sorcerer, and the voice he heard call out from the flames. Uh, we will head north, east-ish, kind of, uh, from Marine uh, up to Vase Dothrak, where... Danny is uh, confronting Jorah Mormont, as well as Daria Naharis, who recently helped to uh, get her, you know, out of this Dothraki, out of control under, uh, from the Dothraki. And uh, Danny, uh, you know, is trying to decide what to do. You know, she's banished Jorah twice, and twice he has returned anyway. Uh, once with Tyrion, and now once to. Uh, free her from the Dothraki, so uh, she's not quite certain what to do with Jorah at this point, but Jorah uh, reveals that he has been infected with grayscale, so uh, Danny sends him to go find the cure for grayscale, wherever that may be in all of the known world, uh, and Danny and Dario Naharis depart from Vase Dothrak, presumably leading all of the Dothraki back to the city of Marine, presumably. Although uh, we will not know that for sure till uh, a little later in this season. Uh, we will march westward across Essos to the free city of Bravos, where uh, Arya and the Waif continue to practice their staff fighting. Uh, and then Jock and Hagar explains to Arya uh, how the Faceless Men came to be, that they were once slaves in Valyria, before establishing the free city of Bravos, the Faceless Men helped to found the city of Bravos, 
and of course founded the Guild of the Faceless Men. Uh, and Arya then also gives Arya a uh, poison vial and informs her that her test is to go kill an actress by the name of Lady Crane. So Arya heads to the theater to go observe the play that is being put on, a dramatization of the War of the Five Kings, uh, concerned solely with the happenings in King's Landing, essentially to spark the War of the Five Kings. Uh, And Arya observes the caricature of her father's execution, as well as Robert Baratheon's death and Joffrey's, you know, life after that, as well as Sansa's marriage to Tyrion. Uh, And so Cersei, after the play, sneaks into the back room to observe her target, the actress who is playing Cersei in the play. Uh, And later she returns to the House of Black and White, shares with Jock and Hagar her plan to assassinate Lady Crane, presumably the next day, Uh, which is to poison her rum, as no one else in the company uh, drinks rum, only Lady Crane. Uh, And Arya suspects that a younger actress in the play, Bianca, has commissioned the murder, but Jockin refuses to acknowledge this one way or the other, of course. Uh, We head to Westeros. We will start uh, uh, in... Well, we'll start as far south as we go in this episode. Over on the Iron Islands, hanging off the west coast of Westeros. Uh, the King Smoot is held. Yara Greyjoy is the first to lay claim to the Salt Throne. Uh, she argues that raiding the mainland is not enough for the people, that they need to use military force to teach the mainlanders a lesson of a ironborn man in the crowd uh, challenges her candidacy on the grounds that A, she's a woman, and B, that uh, Balon's male heir, Theon, has returned to the Iron Islands and is alive and well. Uh, Theon then, of course, endorses his sister and urges the gathering to do the same, stressing that she is a warrior, a reaver, and an ironborn. Many of the crowd... uh, appear to give their support to Yara Greyjoy as well. Uh, but Euron Greyjoy, Yaron Theon's uncle and Balon's brother, strides in, lays his claim to the Salt Throne, uh, mocking Theon for his military failures as well as his lack of genitals, and uh, derides Yara as a woman who has no place holding a throne. Uh, Yara, in turn, accuses Euron of killing their king and her father, and of course Euron admits to doing so and then defends his action on the grounds that Balon deserved to die many years before now, and the crowd uh, is on board with Euron's uh, reasoning to this point, and Euron announces that he has plans to expand the Ironborn fleet, that he, will, that he will build a fleet, head to Essos, propose marriage to Daenerys Targaryen, and lay claim to the Seven Kingdoms at the side of Queen Daenerys Targaryen. 
giving the Iron Islands a large swath of control over all of Westeros. The Ironborn are thrilled with this plan. Name Euron Greyjoy, the new king of the Iron Islands, uh, the drowned man priest, Aaron Greyjoy, the other Greyjoy brother, uh, drowns Euron, and Euron is reborn amid the sea. And knowing that Euron's probably going to kill him, uh, Yaren Theon, as well as many of the people loyal to them, flee the Iron Islands during uh, Euron's coronation, taking much of the Iron Fleet with them. Euron is revived, is crowned king of the Iron Islands, and immediately sets the Ironborn to building a new fleet of ships so that they can go track down and kill Yara and Theon at some point in the future. Uh, we'll head north to the Wall, to Castle Black, where Asansa receives a message bearing Sigil House Baelish of Littlefinger, asking her to come to a meeting in Molestown. Uh, Sansa goes, accompanied by Lady Brienne, and uh, confronts Littlefinger, asking that if he was aware of what Ramsay Bolton would do to her when Littlefinger sold her to Ramsay. Uh, Baelish states, no, no, I, I was not, but also I have, the Knights of the Vale are just over at Moat Kaelin, ready to help you retake Winterfell if you need them. Uh, and Sansa refuses Baelish's help. Tells him, no, me and John are going to go take Winterfell ourselves. Uh, back at Castle Black, a war council is called, attended by Sansa, Lady Brienne, Podrick Payne, Jon Snow, Davos Seaworth, and Melisandre, as well as Tormund Giants Bane, and Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, Edison Tillette, as well, uh, who all discuss the need for more men to defend Castle Black as the Karstarks and the Umbers, two of the more major non-Stark houses in the north, have declared for Ramsay Bolton. John points out that they could summon the rest of the minor houses, such as the Mormonts of Bear Island, the Glovers, the Kerwins, and the Masons to rival their enemies. Sansa also states that, of course, the North remembers. They will remember the Stark name and risk everything for a true-blooded Stark, such as herself. She also reveals that something she learned from Littlefinger, that her uncle, Kat's brother Brendan Tully, has retaken River Run and has a large swath of Tully troops that could possibly be of help in a attempt on Winterfell. Uh, she also she then tasks uh, Brienne and Pod to go to River Run and secure the Blackfish's help, while the rest leave Castle Black to go uh, tour the North to attempt to gain support from the other minor houses of the Northern Lands. And before they leave, Sansa presents Jon Snow with a new cloak, much like Ned Stark's carrying the Stark sigil. We will continue our march north beyond the wall where the bulk of this episode takes place and we get a lot of very, very important developments in this episode. Beyond the wall, first, 
The three-eyed raven shows Bran a vision of a heart tree amid spirals of standing stones in a very lush green valley. His vision shows Leaf, as well as the other children of the forest, talking amongst themselves, then eagerly looking at a captive man bound to the tree. Leaf approaches, forces a shard of dragonglass into the heart of the man. He does not die, but instead becomes the first white walker and presumably the Night King, potentially. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Bran immediately awakens from his vision, confronts Leaf about creating the White Walkers in the first place. Leaf tries to explain that we were at war with the First Men and very desperate for any weapon to help us win this war against the First Men. Uh, and that is why we created the White Walkers. Uh, later, Bran is the only one awake, is anxious to go back into the Weirwood tree. He wargs into the tree by himself and finds the army of the dead. Uh, he slowly walks through the army until he comes to a space occupied by four White Walkers, including the Night King. He becomes aware that the Night King and the army of the dead are able to see him somehow. Uh, the Night King grabs him, branding his arm with an icy mark. Uh, Bran quickly awakens and wakes all the others. The Three-Eyed Raven tells Bran, as well as Mir and Hodor, that uh, the Night King is now able to locate Bran and are able to bypass powerful magic, keeping them out of the cave now. As a result, they must leave immediately, and Bran must become the Three-Eyed Raven now. Uh, the Raven states that he is not ready, and Bran's eyes whiten as he goes into another vision uh, Mir and Hodor are preparing to leave the cave. They quickly notice that the air has gone even colder as their breath is now visible in the air, indicating the army of the dead's here. Uh, and the Night King, as well as three other white walkers, begin marching towards the cave. They manage to fight their way in. Uh, Mira manages to kill one of the white walkers with a dragonglass spear, uh, but... Uh, the Whites manage to swarm into the cave, killing all of the children of the forest except for Leaf, as Mira begins to yell at Bran to warg into Hodor. In his vision, Bran is at Winterfell. Uh, I'm not really sure the keyness of this vision, but nonetheless, Bran is at Winterfell, uh, observing Ned Stark being sent to the Vale as a ward, where he will meet King Robert Baratheon, uh, saying goodbye to his father, Rickard Stark. While still in the vision, Bran hears Mira's cries to warg into Hodor. The three-eyed raven tells him to listen to her. Bran manages uh, to warg into Hodor, but the way he has to do so is to warg into Hodor in the past, into young Willis here in the vision. Uh, Present-day Hodor uh, puts Bran's body on a sled and begins to haul him down a tunnel uh, where, sadly, uh, Bran's direwolf Summer is attacked and killed by the Whites as we must sound the funeral bells for dear direwolf Summer. Uh, the Whites close in. Leaf sacrifices herself using magic to cause a huge explosion, buying 
Brand, Mira, and Hodor enough time to get to the door at the end of the tunnel. So we must once again ring the funeral bells for Leaf, one of the few, if not the last remaining child of the forest, bringing the entire race of the children of the forest to an end to extinction, presumably. Uh, while the Three-Eyed Raven and Bran are still sharing their vision, uh, the Night King uh, appears to give a glance of recognition to the Three-Eyed Raven before the Night King kills the Three-Eyed Raven, as we must sound the funeral bells once again for the Three-Eyed Raven. Uh, with some difficulty, Hodor does manage to push the door open, pulls Bran through, and helps Mira to close the door just as the Whites approach. Mira grabs Bran's sled, tells Hodor to bar the exit, shouting to hold the door. Inside Bran's vision, young Willis notices Bran, who links the present past, the present Hodor to the past Willis. Willis begins to have a seizure as he enters the mind of his future shell self as Mira continues to yell, hold the door. Present-day Hodor, uh, Willis falls to the ground, convulsing, and begins to repeat the same sentence in the midst of his seizure. Eventually, hold the door, slurs to Hodor. His condition deteriorates, and it becomes apparent that this was the moment that Willis became Hodor and lost the ability to say any other words, largely due to Bran Stark. Bran Stark is the one who became who made Hodor into Hodor we learn in this episode uh present day Hodor still manages to brace himself against the door long enough for Mira to disappear into the snow with Bran's body on the sled inevitably the whites break through the door begin to uh shred and scratch at a visibly distressed Hodor and with no possibility of escape for him all that we see is a young Willis in the past crying out, Hodor's. We must presumably ring the funeral bells for Hodor, the half-giant. And that is all that occurs in this episode. Uh, what questions might you have at this point? Uh, what things can I do my best to explain without uh, spoiling future events? And uh, what other things might you have to add as well to this episode? Uh, it was a very good episode. Lots of action, lots of stuff. Um, the one thing uh, which we've mentioned many times before, and in this episode it once again shows that Littlefinger must have a jetpack or something to jet around the land in record time. Uh, because in the last episode, he and he was, did get from the Vale to Molestown. Uh, yeah, very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where? I had to look on the map and go. He was there last episode. Uh huh. And I watched to make sure, like, okay, did a month go? And no, it wasn't very long that went by. No, and he's got a jetpack or something. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. He was fast. Um, so the North looks like they're getting ready for their battle. and uh, Ramsey's got the uh, two big ones, I guess. 
And so the stars are gonna try and get all the smaller ones, but we'll see how that turns out, I, I assume. Um, let's see, oh, that uh, play. Boy, that was some play. Mm-hmm. And you know, I thought it was, I'll say ironic. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, Aria was loving the play until they brought out her father and he was act, portrayed as a buffoon and uh, then she wasn't so happy. She was like, hey, that's, oh, I don't like this play now. Um, but it was a wild play. Um, okay, so Jorah and Daenerys. I don't know if Jorah will ever come back but or find a cure to... Grayscale, I would figure Grayscale's been around a while and no one's found a cure yet. So. Uh, they found a way to stop it for Shireen. Uh, we never really learned how Stannis was able to do that, but. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We, or you shall see, I guess, because um, I already know where this goes. You know but where it goes. You shall find out okay. at some point in the future. Um, yes, nothing major there. Uh, Yara and, uh, I don't know, because Yara and Theon took their boats. Mm-hmm. It should take them a while to build new ships, so. One would think. I don't know how they. One might be incorrect about that, but one would think well, it would take a while to build take, a bunch of boats. I'm sure, yeah, next episode they'll have. Okay, and we're only look. We're only an hour behind them. Uh huh. <laughs> It'd be like, yeah, right. Okay, uh, we'll see how that works out. But I'm thinking, well, Yara and Theon should get a good lead on them here. But they should. But they probably won't. Um, my one question really is, uh, Bran was touched by the Night King. Yes. Grabbed his arm. Yes. So that now the Night King can apparently tell where Bran is all the time? That is the implication, yes. So if Bran and um, Bran and whoever it was with him leaving and running away, well, the Night King's going to know right where he's at no matter where he goes. That is true, yes. So it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to hide very well. That is also true, yes. Okay. Um, and... I mentioned in the last episode, so another dire wolf is dead, so now we have one less left. We have very few of them left. Um, Arya's? Yeah, Nymeria is... Which we hardly ever see. Well, uh, Nymeria was sent off into the wilderness by Arya in the second episode of the series, so presumably Nymeria is alive. We don't know this. For sure not. We've hardly Uh, ever seen it. uh, For that one episode, basically. Uh... And then, of course, Ghost is still alive, but yet yeah, that's it at this point. So, Nymeria might be, maybe. We'll see if that's ever addressed. Okay. Uh, and Ghost is well and alive still with Jon Snow at yes. this point. Yes. Um, and that was it for me. Okay. Uh, well, we're in season six, which is more or less beyond the scope of the books, but. There's still some of this stuff that is in the books, so where is it from in the books? Well, uh, from the following chapters of 
A Feast for Crows, the fourth novel. Chapter 10, Sansa 1. Sansa learns that her great-uncle is under siege at River Run. Chapter 19, The Drowned Man, The King's Moot, takes place under Aaron Greyjoy's guidance. Uh, Yara claims the crown of salt and rock and obtains support for a bit until Euron interrupts and lays his own claim to the throne, suggesting a plan to bind dragons to conquer the Seven Kingdoms. He wins the acclaim of most of the Ironborn present and is then crowned King of the Iron Islands. Chapter 29, The Reaver, Euron reveals his plan to marry Daenerys Targaryen. Chapter 35, Samwell IV, someone reaches the conclusion that Daenerys Targaryen is the prince that was promised. From the following chapters of A Dance with Dragons, the fifth novel, chapter 26, The Wayward Bride, Yara has fled the Iron Islands. Chapter 27, Tyrion 7, the high priest of Atlantis preaches that Daenerys is the reincarnation of the great hero Azor Ahai, or the prince that was promised in show version. Same, same thing. Uh, chapter 33, Tyrion 8. Tyrion converses with the Red Priest about Danny. Chapter 35, John 7. Stannis considers the Mormonts, Serwins, Glovers, Hornwoods, and other northern houses as potential allies in a campaign against the Boltons. Chapter 62, The Sacrifice. Theon refers to himself as Theon Greyjoy instead of Reek for the first time in many, many years at that point. Uh, and from the following chapters, as of, of in the as of yet unpublished Winds of Winter, we know these are in it as these have been released as sample chapters. Uh, in the Forsaken or Aaron Greyjoy chapter one, Euron admits that he murdered Balon. Mercy, Arya, and other actors and actresses prepare to stage a play called The Bloody Hand concerning the court politics in King's Landing. Uh, but most of this, the material in this episode is based on what presumably will be contained within that sixth novel, particularly everything Jon Snow does after his resurrection, uh, the Knights of the Vale being rallied to Winterfell, the Red Priests arriving in Marine to preach about Danny, Theon and Yara challenging Euron's rule over the Iron Islands, as well as everything with Bran Stark, the revelation of the origin of the White Walkers, Three-Eyed Raven's Cave being overrun, uh, many dying to protect Bran, including Hodor, and the revelation of the true origin of Hodor's uh, condition as well. Uh, so what are the differences between those chapters and this adaptation of them? Uh, firstly, Brienne has yet to encounter Littlefinger at this point. Uh, Brendan Tully never retook River Run, as he technically never lost control of it, as Rob Stark placed him in charge of it before Rob Stark went to the twins to unknowingly participate in the Red Wedding. Uh, there is no mention in the books that Bravos was founded by the Faceless Men. This is new info. Uh, Arya is not a spectator, but is instead one of the cast of actors in the play. The actress who plays the role of Cersei is called Lady Stork, not Crane. Uh, it is unknown yet for what purpose the kindly man, or Jock and Hagar in the show, orders Arya to join the theater and whom, if at all, she is assigned to kill anyone at the play. They don't know why. Arya's being put into play for some reason. We don't know why yet in book continuity. We assume it's the same reason, but we don't, we don't know for sure. 
there is no character named Bianca in the books. It is Arya who plays the role of the maid. The maid's name is not mentioned. The play does not include Ned Stark at all. Uh, Bran's visions have yet to include Hodor, the Night King, or the White Walkers in any capacity. Uh, presumably that will change. Uh, there is no mentioning in the books as of yet who created the White Walkers. Theon is not present at the King's Moot. Uh, he is still imprisoned at the Dreadfort at that point. No one takes notice of his absence either. Uh, Asha, or Yara in the show, is not the first claimant to the Salt Throne, but the fifth, following Gilbert Farwind, Eric Ironmaker, Dunstan Drum, and Victorian Greyjoy, all four characters who have yet to appear in show continuity, and I don't know why they would now. Uh, so, presumably, these characters do not exist in the show. Asha, or Yara, does not promise to build a fleet. Instead, she offers the crowd to make peace with the Northmen. Euron draws the Ironborn's attention by ordering one of his followers to blow a horn. Uh, none of the Ironborn know that Theon was castrated. It is also never explicitly stated to the readers that he is. We just all assume this, uh, thanks to the show. Uh, Asha slash Yara never explicitly accuses Euron of murdering her father. She only says that it is suspicious that he returned one day after Balon's death. Euron never admits in public that he killed Balon. In a sample chapter of the sixth novel, he does admit this to Aaron Greyjoy, and also that he killed two of his other brothers as well, but this is done in private. Uh, Euron speaks in public about the dragons, but not about Danny. He reveals he in his intentions to wed her only to his brother Victorian in a private conversation. Aaron does not accept Euron as the king, nor does he drown him. He disappears shortly after the king's moot, and later it is revealed that Aaron was imprisoned by Euron. Euron does not intend to kill Asha slash Yara and does not in the slightest care about Theon's existence. In Asha's absence, he marries her to Eric Ironmaker, whom Asha ridiculed at the King's Moot. Asha does not steal any ships. She instead returns to Deepwood Mott with her own ships and crew. Euron does not order uh, the building of even one ship, as he already has hundreds of ships at his disposal, in addition to the entirety of the Iron Fleet. Uh, his Dars Alorak somehow put a temporary stop to the killings of the Sons of the Harpy at Danny's request. Tyrion had nothing to do with it. Uh, no Red Priests are in Marine or invited there to this point. Uh, Makoro is on the way to Marine, but has not yet arrived. A character that doesn't exist in the show. Uh, there is no character named Kinvara, the priestess that consults with Tyrion in this episode, in the books. Uh, her character is a combination of the Volantine High Priest Benero and the priest Makoro, whom Benero sends to Marine to help Danny. Uh, Maester Aemon is the one who reaches the conclusion that Daenerys is the prince that was promised, not anyone of the faith of the Lord of the Light. Uh, it is Rob Stark who states that the Car Starks will turn against him because of his execution of Ricard. The houses John mentions. The Mormonts, the Serwins, the Glovers, the Hornwood, and others, half of the Umbers, join Stannis. Uh, the Mormonts join him during his attack against the Ironborn, who occupied Deepwood Mott, and the others join Stannis after he liberates Winterfell. There is no House Mazen in the books. 
Sansa knows that her great uncle Brendan is under siege in River Run, but has no intention to go there or assist him in any way. In the books, the Whites move slowly and clumsily, not very speedy 28 days later zombies like they do in here. Uh, Euron is not baptized during his coronation. And last but not least, it is not the waif, but a man whom Arya refers to as Plague Face, who strikes her and states that she does not belong with faceless men. Uh, still, Plague Face gives her a chance to join them anyway. Uh, and that is all of the differences between the chapters where this is adapted from and their adaptation. So we will move to uh, my rewatch notes. First, on an artistic level, uh, everything in this episode with Bran is just wonderfully done, beautifully executed. Here, everything with Bran in this episode. Uh, Sansa and Littlefinger on a more random-ish but kind of important for later note. Uh, Sansa and Littlefinger meet again. The Knights of the Vale are currently at Moat Kalen, and Sansa uh, despises Littlefinger quite strongly for his selling of her to Ramsay, understandably. Uh, Brendan Tully, the Blackfish, has retaken River Run. Uh, we slightly learn about the origin of the Faceless Men, kind of, sort of, here from Jock and Hagar. Uh, this is something I expect we'll learn more about in the Long Night prequel series that's supposed to start up sometime in the future. Uh, we also learned that the Faceless Men helped to found Bravos, something we had no knowledge of before this episode. Uh, Arya is commissioned to poison an actress, Lady Crane. Mm -hmm. uh, the play that Arya observes gives us a good look at how the people of Essos view the War of the Five Kings. Uh, Bran, as well as the audience, uh, learn how the first White Walker and presumably the Night King was created by the Children of the Forest as a weapon of war against the First Men and by using a shard of dragonglass. Presumably then why White Walkers can be killed by dragonglass. Uh, we see the tradition of the King's Moot to select the leader of the Ironborn. Uh, Euron wants to align the Iron Islands with Daenerys and claim the Seven Kingdoms alongside her, and Euron Greyjoy is named the King of the Ironborn. Theon, Yara, and the Ironborn loyal to them flee the Iron Islands while Euron sets out to find and kill them. Uh, Daenerys is told about Jorah's Grayscale and sends him to find a cure somewhere and somehow. Uh, the followers of Lore and Essos believe Danny to be the prince who was promised while, of course, we keenly know that Melisandre uh, believes this person to be Jon Snow. Uh, Bran sees the extent of the army of the dead, as do we, and we partially learn how powerful the Night King is in this episode. Uh, Bran and Mira Reed have fled the cave, and Bran has now taken over the position of the Three-Eyed Raven at this point. Keely. Sansa decides not to tell Jon Snow about her meeting with Littlefinger. Mm -hmm. She also sends Brienne and Pod to River Run to try and garner the Blackfish's support to retake the North. While everyone else is going to go tour the North and try to garner Northern support. Edison Tillett is now officially Lord Commander of the Night's Watch after Jon vacates the castle. Uh, Bran is the one who made Hodor into Hodor, we learn sadly in this episode. And uh, with the way that they look at each other, there seems to be some sort of past between the previous Three-Eyed Raven and the Night King 
Uh, we'll see if we learn anything of this in season eight. We don't learn anything about this from here on out. Um, foreshadowing nuggets. Littlefinger, I underestimated a stranger. Uh, Arya, if a girl could use one of the faces from the hall. Uh, Jockin and Arya in conversation. I think this is for season eight. Uh, Jockin, does death only come for the wicked and leave the decent behind? No. Uh, when I take the seven kingdoms, I need you by my side, Danny to Jorah. Uh, a possible conflict may arise between John and Danny if they were to meet at some point in the future, as they are both thought to be the prince who was promised. Uh, the Red Priestess Kinvara in Marine states that the great war still to come. What could this war be? Pretty obvious, but anyway, had to point it out anyway. Um, now, the entire conversation between Kinvara and Varys uh, echoes a conversation we will see in Season 7 between two other characters regarding flames and stuff you see or hear in the fire and the Lord of Light. Uh, we'll hear a conversation kind of similar to that one in Season 7 between two other characters. Um, the spiral shape that the White Walkers leave in their wake. We're shown it in this episode when Bran first uh, goes to the Army of the Dead vision. We see it when we're introduced to the Children of the Forest turning the White Walkers. So there must be something to it as we're shown it very often. We see it in the very premiere with how... Uh, with the premiere of the whole series with how the White Walkers arrange the bodies of those that they kill and then. So there must be something to it. We've not yet learned any significance to it, so maybe something to come in Season 8 or in the Long Night prequel series. Maybe we learn more about what this spiral shape is and why it's important to the White Walkers or if it even is important or just some random stylistic choice. We'll see. Um, Bran now has the mark of the Night King on him, allowing the Night King to track him relatively easily. Uh, important for later. Uh, Sansa mentions that the Northerners are loyal, much more so than the people of the South. This will be come become very important in the season six finale. Um, Davos, John doesn't have the Stark name, which is true, obviously. Uh, John, in reference to the wall, don't knock it down while I'm gone. Uh, and last but not least, um, I assume there must be some significance beyond what we see with Hodor uh, to Bran seeing Ned being sent to the Vale in this episode. To this point, we've got no more importance from this bit, but I assume there must be some for Season 8 that we will learn about this. I don't know why else we'd need to see this other than the Hodor stuff, but you could have really done any time where yeah. he's around. So there must be something more important to this. And not technically a foreshadowing note, but I'd like to point out um, you know, if you spend time around uh, Game of Thrones forums and stuff, uh, you'll, you'll find some interesting theories. Uh, one being which gets a lot of its evidence from this episode, particularly the whole Hodor sequence, uh, you'll get a lot of evidence there that uh, this theory that uh, Bran is actually the Night King through similar circumstances to Hodor, that Bran somehow uh, becomes the Night King 
uh, is a theory that's gone around uh, for a while now. And a lot of the evidence can be gathered from here, from the whole Hodor sequence, as well as the look the Night King gives the Three-Eyed Raven, as if he knows the Three-Eyed Raven from somewhere or from some time. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying if that's a valid theory or not, or if it makes any sense, or if I'm on board with it, but this is the episode that you can get a lot of evidence for the theory that Bran Stark somehow becomes the Night King uh, through, like, getting trapped in a vision through the weirwood trees or something like that. Um, you know, uh, which if that's how it goes, that'd be very weird, but could be interesting. Mm. Uh, but just thought I'd like to point that out. Uh, so that is all I have for this episode. Uh, you have anything else at this point? No. Okay, then that will do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great recaps, continuing our look at Game of Thrones. Uh, And until the next episode, goodbye.